0: Congratulations. You made it to the X-fill. You can sit back and relax, empty your bags, and we hope you enjoy the show.
1: Hey there, Mike, a.k.a. MTB Trigger here. (laughs) I I totally did the thing I told myself I wasn't going to do, and I had my hands on my desk and I was rubbing my hands on my mic, which I hear every episode. (laughs) Oh, man. Let's try again. No big deal. Yeah. (laughs) Hey there, Mike, a.k.a. MTB Trigger here. And with me, as always, is my co-host, Ronald, a.k.a. Eric. If you are brand new, welcome. This is an Escape from Tarkov podcast where we talk about all things EFT. And our main goal is to get better at the game. And we hope you join us in that adventure. So today we're going to be talking about some adventures through maps at night with thermals, I would imagine, because one of us discovered how cool thermals can be. And uh, I went along for the ride. <laughs> <laughs> What else are we going to talk about today? We are going to talk about spawn locations, learning them, maybe some that need to change. And then we're going to end with our strategy session today on healing, I guess is what we would title the overall subject. But it mostly has to do with all of the different debuffs and buffs that you can get in the game. But the main strategy portion is going to be on how to handle yourself during and after a fight. That's going to be our main strategy talk today. So before we jump into all that, we're going to get our hideout keeping out of the way. So first, as always, the best way you can help the podcast is to share it with a friend, whether they're playing, thinking about playing, or they just haven't listened yet. Let them know about the podcast, let them know about the community. And then for those of you that are able to do a little bit more than that, we do have a Patreon where those of you that can support financially. We greatly appreciate those of you who are already doing that, but we do have a Patreon. And then also the last thing you can do to really help us out is leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. And if you're on YouTube or you haven't checked it out on YouTube, go check it out over there. Give us a review, give us a comment, like something, tell us what we're doing well. And we now have 143 ratings on iTunes. So thank you so much. For those of you that have taken the time to log in, which is the hardest part we know, and then actually leave a insightful comment there. So thank you so much for that. It helps us. We take those seriously. And those of you that have commented in a constructive way, thank you so much. We've actually implemented a lot of those things into the show, and we greatly appreciate it. If you're looking for me, you can find me streaming a few days a week on Twitch. You can also find me on Twitter, MTB Trigger, basically everywhere in the social media world. But Eric, Ronald, how's it going, man? Let these fine people know where you're at and uh, what you think they need to know this week.
0: Hey, what's up, everybody? You can always find me in Discord. I'll be Ronald at the top of the list with right next to Trigger. Send me a DM anytime. That's probably the best way to get a hold of me. You can follow me on Twitter at Gaming, And also, once again, uh, just like last week, we're mentioning okay. again, please follow the show at Podcast be doing some content release through that as an official channel. You can also check out the website at www.xpmedianow.com. We're starting to put some content up there. so we look forward to having uh, some trigger thoughts through some blogs, which is going to be pretty exciting to see as we get that kind of rolling in the next few weeks. I also
1: have word that uh, maybe some of our Sherpas are going to be putting some content on there. So if you're interested in what they've been doing while Sherping, we actually have a couple that are interested in uh, putting some content up on the blog. So look out for that soon.
0: Yeah, we're pretty excited to use it as a new way to reach out to the community and put some content out there for all of you to consume and another resource where you can just go and find out some more thoughts on how to get better at Tarkov because we all are doing this kind of journey thing together. So we're pretty excited about how that is all coming together. And also, we all know that everyone loves the show on the audio version. That's where the bulk of our discoverability has happened. And we appreciate everyone who's done that. Thank you for doing that. We kind of are asked now is that if you're going to listen to the show for like that second time or try to catch something that you missed, go ahead and watch it on YouTube. Pop open a browser when you're uh, working from home right now or when you have uh, just some free time. You can do it on your phone, too, with the YouTube app. It's the same kind of experience as a podcasting app. Go ahead, throw open the YouTube app, throw open a browser, listen to the show through YouTube. I know it's kind of a long ask, but it really does help the discoverability of the show, and it just makes our community stronger as more people will find Exfil get into the Discord and we'll just have more people to play with. So we're pretty excited about the growth that we've had. We've passed 500 subs in this past week and it's kind of like our very first milestone with the YouTube content. So enough about that. Thank you to everyone who's done that. And if you haven't done that, please go check it out. So Trigger, how's your week been?
1: It's been good, man. I uh, continue my sort of game roulette. I've been playing a little bit of Valorant, been playing a little bit of PUBG, and then playing a lot of Tarkov this week. I think it was last week that I said I thought I had like 15 tasks to go. Well, this weekend, after I'd been grinding Factory for a while, I actually went into uh, the wiki and figured out how many I had. Going into yesterday, I had 25 tasks remaining but I actually got seven of those tasks done on stream. And so I have 18 tasks remaining. It's not just that I got seven tasks done in that one stream, and some of them were pretty easy, but I had perhaps one of the most memorable task complete sounds that I've ever had in this game. It was crazy, man. I was on interchange. I was getting some nighttime kills done. And I was going to Ollie after basically looting my way through the whole mall. I opened Kiba, didn't see anybody. I go through Rasmussen, I go through the furniture store, and then I'm looking in Ollie to see if anybody's in there, and I get tagged. And I thought it was the scav I was looking at, and I freaked out and ran. And then I realized that I saw a red dot on the floor in front of me. So I start freaking out and I run back. Well, then I hear people running down the escalator and they're going to come find me and I kill the first guy. He comes and wraps around right. I shoot, he shoots, we both miss. I go to the left side and kill him. And then I see more green dots, a green dot and a red dot. Coming down at me, and I'm like, oh my gosh. And I have so much damage. I've got all kinds of problems, which we'll actually talk about how to handle a situation like this later in the episode. So, actually, I'll probably save the healing part because it would be a good example. But basically, I flank back over. I end up throwing a grenade up over the escalator. And when it blew up, I got a task completion sound. And I was like, what in the world? And I went and looked, and I got a headshot with the grenade while I had a Tremor, because my Propital had worn off as I flanked back, and I needed one more kill on a PMC while I had the Tremor effect. So it was amazing, because those are actually really challenging kills to get. So I was planning on getting six done that raid, or the sixth task done, and then that grenade caused me to get the seventh one done. So that was incredible, probably one of the most memorable kills ever, just because of that noise going off. And then the rest of my week was spent basically in factory because I had the task to get PMC kills with the SVD. And so I spent a lot of time in there, probably like four hours straight one day, just pounding out factory with the SVD. And I just unlocked the one where I get the 12 gauge suppressed kills on PMCs and scavs. And I fully intend to stomp around factory to get that one done. So that was most of my week was grinding out tasks and stomping around factory. But what about you, man?
0: Well, it was a good week. As last week, I've been pushing towards that magical level 30 to get the hideout kind of really polished off. I think what we really need to talk about today is like that last little bit to get to level 30 and pushing through a couple (laughs) little tasks. I've i definitely been clearing tasks. I, I don't know how many tasks I've done in the last week. It's a lot. Along the way, I have gotten... Uh, some interesting experience while clearing those tasks. And actually, my last task, my last raid, I was pretty excited. I'm like, oh, I've got to be good to go. And I took a screenshot of this and in the video version, I'm going to put this into the video version so you can see, but I actually had 94 XP to go. So, literally, I got to 30,000 and I had 94 XP to go. And it was it, it was like 29.9999%. And it was just terrible. <laughs>
1: I keep laughing because we're getting ready to record and he's like, I'm going to hit level 30 and then we can record and, (laughs) and I'm watching the discord stream as I'm prepping some notes and he gets out of the raid and he goes, I hate you Tarkov. (laughs) And I'm like, what I'm looking, I look at the screen.
0: I'm like, what you made it out alive. What's the problem? Uh Oh, (laughs) 94 XP to go. (laughs) Dude, it was the worst is just the worst. I'm like, okay, I, I just need to do something. so I jumped in the shoreline just enough to get basically a run through to get 100 Xp so we could just get this done with. but man, it was been a it's been a good grind though I have to I have to admit I kind of am starting to enjoy part of the task system. whereas when I started it was just this big giant hill of tasks that were really hard to do and kind of punishing. so it was something that was very uh, unapproachable. I guess is the best word you know, from my perspective. But now I'm starting to find my, find my groove with it, find my real kind of like comfortable zone between the rat and the chad, finding my space where I can really run around and do PvP if I have to in close quarters, which I'm not super great at, but getting better at. And also on the larger maps, really embrace the use of thermals and doing things at night and really cleaning up with long range like sniping shots. And one of the things I've really done well as I've started to use thermals more and more is kind of get away from using cheap guns and cheap ammo because I'm just afraid to lose stuff and kind of gotten into the idea that ammo really matters and finding a gun that I'm just comfortable with and how the spray pattern goes. And so I've settled on the M1. I really like the M1 with a thermo on it and whatever kind of ammo you want to use in that gun, I'm using M80 because it's a good balance of cost versus effectiveness. I've really had a good run of using it now. And so, for example, Woods and uh, Shoreline and Customs, I've had some real success on. I've done quests on all of them this past week, especially a map that I've been really struggling with is Customs. and now doing most of my task completion at night for things that are not in the dorms, but things that are outside the dorms and kind of around the map, I've really started to hit my stride doing that stuff at night. So using cheap NVG, but most of the time, cheap NVG, I don't even really need it. I just have the thermals and I'm running around. And for me, you know, like for trigger killing like 10, 12 scavs is kind of a normal run. But for me, that was not the way that I've played. And so for me, like getting like that 8 to 10 scav kill on a regular basis is a totally different gameplay for me. And I'm actually having a lot of fun doing that. It's been really fun to hit that stride. A little encouragement out there, if you're stuck like in the mid-20s and things are just kind of brutal, you know, I've just pushed to the other side of that now. And money is really coming pretty easy. I crossed the 25 million ruble mark uh, this this week before I really had the hideout, really progressed well. And so money's starting to come in. And because of that, now I'm going to spend this upcoming week finishing out all the leveling of the different hideout things to level three, level four, whatever. And we'll talk about that next week. But after that happens, you know, I'll be in a different spot, right? Because money is going to come quite a bit easier with a fully maxed out hideout. But where I'm at right now is a really good place. I'm kind of in that, I'll call it, 70% through the mid game, and I'm really enjoying it now. And I think the way that Tarkov teaches you to play the game through the task system, I now have a deeper appreciation for it because I know that I have learned a lot of different things, different ways to play the game through the tasks that now just making, pushing the level 30s now, going from uh, kind of playing in fear to more playing uh, from a position of not afraid to die, but looking forward to getting into it. So it's it's a different perspective and I realize it's my perspective. I don't have that Chad in me that I just love to go and run around and kill everything. And so I, I play from a different perspective. But what I'm trying to say is Tarkov, the game progression has kind of even that out, right? Evened out the rat and the Chad.
1: Well you said a few things there that I want to touch on before we really dig into our main topics. But I think first and foremost when you say Chad, it just reminded me that I killed my highest level player On Factory this week, I killed a level 69 Factory Chad, and it's a guy that I actually watched a fair amount of on Twitch before, so I won't out who it is, but I got him. (laughs) So anyway, when you're saying Chad, just reminded me. I collected my highest level dog tag, which was actually pretty cool. But um, I wanted to talk about thermals for a minute because I have probably been the biggest like back and forth opinion on thermals, like whether they're okay, whether they're not okay, change them, whatever. And you get a task later in the game that is to get 20 PMC kills, I think, with an M1A, a suppressor and a thermal scope. And I decided to do this on woods because I didn't know woods very well. And you can think whatever you want about thermals. But from a strategic standpoint, I used the thermal while I had to get it for that task to really learn woods. I basically went everywhere on that map looking for PMCs, trying to figure out how they rotate, trying to figure out, okay if I spawn in this spot, where are they going to come from? What do I need to defend? And one of the best parts about thermals is I also had tasks to get 12 gauge kills on woods. So I was actually going in with my thermal M1A and then a 12 gauge on my back. And so I talked about a flub last week when I didn't quite make it out. and I lost both my thermal and my 12 gauge shotgun and I had to go back in to finish that task. But I used my thermal to really learn the map and then also scout because I needed scab kills. So there was times where I saw a PMC running up to the, you know, the cliff descent or the whatever it is, the, the rock area, the rock passage. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going that way. I'm going to go find scavs in the other direction. But I think if nothing else, you could use the thermal to gain a ton of map knowledge, where people come from, where do they go. And then you can find scavs in weird places. But I also think there's a lot of downsides to thermals too. I mean, if somebody gets close quarters with you, the thermals can be really challenging. So on the flip side, yeah, thermals are great for scoping out medium to long distance, learning the map, learning where players are, learning where scavs are. But I also think that the close range disadvantages, they're okay. You know, I still think they need to work on thermals a little bit, but especially on woods, like if you're hugging the coast, like I've talked about, or you're going through tight quarters, it's not always easy to spot guys. You know, So if you're going up against someone that you think has a thermal, use ridges, use trees, use rocks, change your position on them because the field of view is so small that if you do some wider flanks, it can be really hard to find people if you have to adjust 15 to 20 degrees with your thermal scope. So again, I don't know how you feel about thermals, but I just think there's a lot. Of negativity surrounding them, but you can really use them to your advantage uh, for map knowledge, but also understanding how to use them so that you can play against other people that have thermals and take advantage of the um, the downfalls.
0: Well, this is a good point about the disadvantages of thermals, and I'll tell you one for sure: like if someone starts firing at you, you can't go prone and try to hide somewhere; you're just going to get shot because they can see you. Right? That's one thing that is kind of a disadvantage, at least in my opinion. You have to try to get away or put something in between you and them that that's really your only option and and if you can do that successfully, then you can survive against someone with thermals. and I always died to people with thermals. I, it was a constant just death fest. It was getting a little frustrating. And I decided that the best way to survive against someone with thermals is to get good at using them so I know what they're doing. And now that I've kind of gotten to the place where I'm good with thermals, I would say I'm, I'm not great, but I'm not bad either. So I'm, I'm in that middle, that middle good, middle ground of good. And I know what they're doing. And so that if I start to get shot at at night, I can tell, okay the bullets coming from this general direction, I know I need to create some kind of break in that line of sight. Or if I'm on a map like woods, for example, with the water, I know for sure I want to stick down by the beach because it's a big white blob in the thermal. It's a lot harder to find me. Or if I need to reload my mag, find a dip in the ground because the dip in the ground is they're not going to be able to see me. These are just like very basic things But you start to recognize how to use terrain as an advantage in the thermal game once you start to use thermals consistently. And I know that there are some people that look down on them. I've heard all the arguments against them. I've heard the arguments for them. I'm indifferent. I think it's another tool in the toolkit. So I treat it as such. So if I've got a quest or a task that is centered around something on a big wide open map, that I can do at night, then I'm absolutely going to use thermals because odds are a scav's not going to sneak up on me and a PMC's not going to sneak up on me because I'm going to see them from across the map. Now they may have thermals too. And I've gotten into long range fights with a PMC with thermals. It's actually kind of fun because they miss a little bit. You might miss a little bit. The best man kind of wins at that point, right? So I think that there are some disadvantages that need to be recognized, but you can overcome those through actually using them and knowledge of how you use them.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think for me, it started as a, I don't know this map, but it really took me to this place of understanding woods from a basic standpoint, right? And, and the number one thing I tell people all the time when they ask, like, how do you get good at a map? Well, the first thing to start at is just understanding the layout. Typically on every map, there's quote-unquote two sides, right? So on shoreline, you have the east and the west. So you're either spawning on the west side or the east side. And then your x points are going to be on the opposite end. It's the same as woods. You're going to start on the west side or the east side, and you have to get to the other side. So this naturally creates choke points on every map, right? You could look at shoreline, and you would say resort. You would say power station. You'd say gas station. On woods, you would say the outside wall and the lumber camp. And personally, I think that that map is too narrow in the middle, which is why a lot of people don't like it or find it really challenging. But every map can be looked at this way for the most part. After you get that base map knowledge, the next big thing is understanding the spawn locations. Because oftentimes on these bigger maps like Shoreline, even smaller maps like Factory, right? We wanted to talk about spawn locations, but thermals on the bigger maps can really help you understand where players go when they spawn. And it's not that you have to shoot at every player you spot, you know, if you spawn over at the UN or the Factory gate on Woods and you see a team moving across, you know, the suicide field towards the Ambulance you don't have to shoot at them. (laughs) It may feel like you do, but you can really understand what they're trying to do. You can kind of see what gear they have. You know, if they're running around with Mosins, they're probably trying to kill a bunch of PMCs or they've got to kill scabs. You can just learn a lot about what people do on a map. And that's really the biggest benefit that I got from thermals was understanding where are the spawn points close to me and what are these people trying to do?
0: Yeah, absolutely. The other thing about thermals that really help is In the beginning, they kind of give you this false sense of confidence. But what I kind of noticed as I started using them is that false sense of confidence was enough to get me over the hump of being afraid to try. It's kind of a weird situation that develops in Tarkov. Every time you progress to a new level of doing something a little bit better, a little bit different, at least for me, I've had this kind of mountain of, oh man, I'm just going to use cheap stuff again because I'm going to die a lot. And what I've noticed is this past maybe two weeks of playing, and really getting better with some better gear is that thermals were enough of a confidence boost in certain situations to get me out of that mindset. And I just don't use cheap stuff anymore. I use a more expensive helm with a face shield on it all the time now. I've upgraded my armor. I just don't use cheap stuff anymore. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If I can take one or two maybe extra shots from a scav, and maybe even one extra shot from a PMC, it gives me that much more chance to survive. And I have Xfield now with my armor pretty much dead. But because I used better armor, I was able to make it. Whereas before using lesser armor and lesser things, because I was convinced I was going to die, I would have lost. And so I think thermos really for me were like this Kind of weird breakthrough moment, another one of those weird breakthrough moments in confidence to do some of the more harder tasks. Nice. The other thing about thermals, too, that's kind of interesting on Woods that I will say is that if you go into the raid with insurance on everything there is a good chance you're going to get your stuff back. I would say about 50% of the time, I've gotten my M1 with the thermal back. I mean, you lose your ammo, right? Whatever. But the big thing is that the other guys got thermals too. So they're either going to take your gun to part out and sell or whatever, or they're not going to bother commuting your body because there's plenty of other people sniping at them. So Woods was really an interesting map where I got a lot back on insurance. And I'm not sure if Everyone's had that experience, you know, on Woods. It'd be an interesting, like, community Discord point to post in general chat about what your experience with insurance return has been. Maybe not necessarily specifically with thermals, but, like, where you find that you get the most back out of insurance might be something to post this week as... Everyone starts to listen to this.
1: Yeah, for me, for me, it's been almost the same. I've gotten a surprising number of M1As or thick boy guns back on woods specifically. And I think it just goes toward that map. It's one of the harder ones to fill from because there's scabs all over the place. There's players all over the place. A lot of people are using long distance scopes. And I think that, yeah, you may die to someone and you're like, oh, they got me and they got my stuff. Well, a lot of times they still have to cross through the middle of the map. And not only is that where all the PMCs converge on, but Sherman's there and he is brutal and his raiders are brutal. So I think there's a lot of times where you get your stuff back because the scav boss helps you out or someone hits a ridiculous shot and can't find the body. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that.
0: Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think it's can't find the body. There's been a few times where in the dark, right? So and I, I've killed them. I can see him in the scope. I get over and start looking and it's just I'm spending too much time doing this. I got to go, right? It's just you can't find what you're looking for. All that being said, it's been an interesting week of using thermals and I now use them pretty regularly in my rotation. I've found in general that I play probably 75% at night now. It's just I find the game play at night to be more enjoyable and more fun. So it's been a good week of doing that. Nice.
1: Well, we hit a lot on thermals and we kind of touched on the topic about spawn locations, where people go on maps like Woods, Customs, etc. But I want to touch on spawn locations and clearing out spawns really quick, because I think a lot of people talk about this. And I'm a factory junkie and when people are learning factory or they're trying to tell somebody if you watch streamers and they're in factory and they're good at it, the number one thing people say is, well, clear the spawns out. You know, and it's like that is really good advice, but I don't think it's enough. I don't think there's enough importance put on why it's so important to clear out spawns or at least knowing where they are, right? And I've done a couple videos on factory, but I just want to talk about this importance of knowing the spawns. So I guess before I start talking about this, when you jump into a map, right, and you've talked about woods, you've talked about customs, and specifically with these thermals. Have you started recognizing like where you're at on these maps more or seeing players or or how has the knowledge of knowing where people spawn helped you get better at these maps?
0: It's completely changed my experience on the maps. I'll talk about customs because that is probably the biggest pain point of knowing where you're starting and where you have to get to and then knowing what's going on in between those two locations. For example, on customs... Man, customs has been a real struggle for me. Uh, Some people pick it up quick. Some people are in my camp. You know, if you're in my camp where it was a real struggle for a long time, you know, you can really empathize with this, what I'm going to say here about customs. It's like I used to spawn on customs. I knew where I was on the map, but I didn't understand the spawn points enough to know where other PMCs were spawning. And I would just run right into the buzzsaw unexpectedly, especially on the right side of customs. So this is going to be like to the east of dorms and north of the gas station in those woods areas on customs. There's so many spawn locations over there, you can end up just getting headshot right away. And so one of the things that I've really learned to do on customs is clear a couple of specific areas before I push into the middle of the map. And it doesn't matter where I spawn, there's groups of areas that I just have practiced and gotten used to clearing and it's not uncommon to catch a PMC. You know, it's it's not uncommon to catch one and maybe two, you know, especially if you spawn on the right side of the map on customs. And that has increased my survival rate on customs exponentially. Like I, I would say where I used to only fill out of customs three out of 10 times maybe because I really didn't know what I was doing. It's now flipped. It's probably eight out of 10 times. I can get out of customs and not only that, but I get out of customs with seven to 10 scav kills and a PMC kill usually every time. And it's because, especially in the beginning, I'm just clearing out where I know where those spawns are.
1: Well, I love your point about the buzzsaw aspect of this, right? Where when you started on a map, you just were running right at people. And you probably didn't know why. And I think this is one of the most frustrating things in this game is that moment in your head of like, why is that guy there? I love this concept of knowing the spawn locations versus clearing them. Because when I hear someone saying they're clearing spawns, to me that says I am now at a very good or mastery stage of that section of the map. And I really want to slow down and back up and saying how critical it is just knowing the spawn locations, because that's the progression. It starts where you don't know anything about the map, so you just sort of go around, you move around, and sometimes you're going at the buzzsaw, sometimes you're going off in a weird way, or sometimes you're going right at another spawn, you just don't know. Then it's knowing about where people can be, and then it goes to clearing them out. And I think the reason people clear out spawns so often is it gives you so much information on the rest of the map, you know, and I'm going to break it down on a small map really quick. So on Factory, if you know the, the forklift spawn, there's a little room behind it. There's a spawn to your left and then there's a spawn to your right. One of them's down a glass hallway. The other one to the left is around the corner and in a big room. Now, everything is situational. I could tell you that the number one most important thing to do is go clear out those spawns ASAP, try to get some quick kills, and then move into the rest of the map. But it's always situational because if you spawn in at the forklift and then you immediately hear two people on your left and one person on your right, your best course of action may be to not make a single noise and let those two parties converge on each other and fight before you engage. Or you may say, oh, that person on the right ran off. I need to push these two guys before this guy comes back. A lot of it's going to be situational, but knowing the spawn points is critical and it's the first step of progression. My best example of this versus clearing a spawn is I came in on that forklift spawn. I heard someone make one footstep on my left and then they went silent for 20 seconds. Nobody spawned in on glass hallway, but I was there and I'm like, this guy's not going to move. I forgot to bring grenades in. He's waiting for me to come around that corner and kill me. So I gave myself a 50-50 chance if I were to just charge him and try to win that fight. Rather than do that, I said, I want to make him react to me. So what I did is I sprinted to the first box in the glass hallway, which is about 10 meters into glass hallway. Then I stopped, went into a full slow walk, crouch, back towards that corner, and lo and behold he started walking towards where I was and I caught him completely off guard when I was holding the angle of him coming around that wall towards the glass hallway. So knowing the spawns is just as important to me as being able to clear them because if you know where someone might be, you can make them react
0: to you. Absolutely. I I completely agree with you. I'll give an example on Customs because that was a great factory example. So just as I was talking about in that kind of north of the gas station in eastern corner of the map, if you spawn at Passage Between Rocks, which is in between two different spawn points, you to your right is going to be Road to Military, and to your left is going to be Military Base CP, and you literally, you have a choice to make. You know that pretty much everyone spawns in the customs and starts running towards dorms. So there's going to be someone most likely to your left who's going to run past you. And there's going to be someone most likely to your right who's going to have to run down the fence line, which you can almost see if you just go over the small hill. And so you have an opportunity there to get out of position where they would normally go. And so one of my favorite things to do is go up to the shack. I sprint right to the shack area, check for scavs because there can be scavs there. But if there's no scavs there, I go to the shack and I look right and left. And usually I can see at least one PMC and it's a long range sniper shot. And And if you can get them, get them. And it, it, I would say this is successful six out of 10 times. You see someone there. Now, when I talked before about PVP that happens in like that short range and whatever, I generally don't run towards that. I let the people who are really good at that go to dorms and do that. And I work my way around the outside of the map and then clean up dorms at the end after I take care of those two spawns, I'm pretty confident that I don't have anybody else to deal with. Now, you can spawn at scav checkpoint on that side of the map as well, but odds are if you run in and you can actually see two PMCs, there's not a third one at scav checkpoint. Now, there could be, but odds are that there's not. And I usually clean up that side of the map then uh, with scavs and work my way through. But using shack as kind of like a an in-between space has worked really well for me on that part of customs.
1: That's awesome. You know, I think that that's, again, I think that's the progression, right? Because I've not done that on that area of customs. And I think that's really important that you focus on areas of maps. If you're trying to learn all of the spawns on a given map and where to go on the map, I just think it's going to be a big struggle. You know, it's why I always made goal locations. You know, so when I was learning Interchange, my goal location was Ollie. When I was learning Factory, my goal location was the office. When I was learning Shoreline, my goal location was Power Plant because I wanted to avoid resort. And by doing that, I would learn how to get to that area from whatever spawn I was in. And then I would figure out from there which ones I needed to worry about. So I would set a goal before you start saying, well, I'm just going to learn how to clear spawns because a lot of times that doesn't necessarily help you. Like if you're on a task that you need to go to the resort and you end up spawning in on the ex- on the one that's closest to the resort, well, you shouldn't be clearing spawns. You should sprint to the resort and get your stuff done and get out of there. So it's always situational. But I did want to hit another side of spawn locations because it's also one of these topics that is, I would say, talked about in a negative light because... They're not switched up very often, and there are certain maps that are constantly talked about with spawn locations, Shoreline being one of them, because it has a massive distance between most of the spawns and Resort, where all of the high-tier loot is. And then there's also smaller maps like Factory, where you have spawns that are really close. And for those of you that are on Reddit, you may have seen the thread that is leading us to this discussion. But the glass hallway is this notorious spawn, and it's the one I just talked about. But in another instance earlier this week, I was leaving the forklift spawn. There was nothing on the left side. And so I started heading down the glass hallway spawn, and right in front of me, two guys spawned in in that moment, and I one-tapped both of them with an AS Val. And it led to this really long... Reddit thread with four or 500 upvotes at this point of the guy posting the screenshot or video actually of him loading in and then getting shot in the head with a one second time in raid. And then he edited out the end, but posted the screenshot later. And it was me that killed him. And so again, when you're practicing clearing out spawns, especially on the smaller maps, you're going to get lucky sometimes and people will spawn in late. It's an issue that I think really needs to get addressed. Like I just don't know why spawning in late is a thing. It just seems like there's that moment of creating the raid, loading the loot, waiting for players, and then that countdown. And sometimes that goes minutes and then you still get put in the raid late. So as you're learning to clear out spawns, you also have to know that people can spawn in late. And I'm not bringing this up to complain about it. What I'm saying is you could clear a spawn, move to another location, and someone could actually spawn in behind you. So you just need to be aware that The spawn locations aren't perfect. They're not always the same. The spawning is random. And sometimes the spawning in within the first minute of a game is random. So you really gotta be aware of that, especially on small maps.
0: Yeah, it it is a thing. I honestly am kind of torn about this because I'll be honest with you, part of Tarkov's whole deal is that it's a hard game, right? So if you get spawned on top of each other, deal with it. And I I I have sympathy to the guy who lived for one second. I imagine that hasn't happened to him very many times. Maybe it may happen, maybe one out of 50 raids. So it's kind of one of those situations where it really hurts when it happens. But then you think to yourself, well, Tarkov is not meant to be easy. And they, you know, this is just part of it, especially on a small map like Factory, you have the possibility to spawn right on top of each other and you could be late. I mean, be ready, right? The question, whenever you spawn into factory, you need to go in there hot and you're ready to roll. There is no waiting. There is no like just looking around for a second. You have to make a choice before you actually know where you are that you're going to do something. So, you have to go in kind of with a plan. At least I think so.
1: Yeah, I guess from my standpoint, I agree with that to some extent. Like if you spawn in factory... You got to be ready. Yeah, sometimes you're going to die quick. I guess where I disagree is that spawning in instantly and getting shot at as someone who really enjoys PvP, I don't enjoy killing somebody who spawned in late. It doesn't feel good to me. It doesn't feel good to them. I feel bad for them. But because it's Tarkov, I have to shoot them. I can't run the other way and be like, hey, bro, good luck. Have fun this raid. Like, no, you've got to drop them because there's two of them. They loaded in with good loot. And you got to take them out. So I'm all about fair PvP. Um, I want you to have the same opportunity of time in the raid that I do, because I want to beat you when you're at your best, not when you don't know I'm there and you just spawned in. So I agree. Like there's times we're going to die really quick, but the loading in late, just doesn't feel good on either side. So yeah, it's a hard game, but that's not fun for anybody. I didn't feel good about shooting that guy as he spawned in. It was horrible, actually. I'm like, oh, that sucks. I feel horrible for that guy.
0: Yeah, I agree with you on the concept of fair PvP, but also PvP in general is about having an advantage over another player. The winner usually has some kind of advantage, whether it's skill, whether it's terrain, whether it's gear, ammo, whatever. And in this particular case, the game spawned you in. So I have sympathy for what happened to him. So, like, I feel bad for him. Like, yeah, that's bad luck, but at the same time, it could happen to you too. And it's just part of the way the game works. So I guess I maybe don't see it as a huge problem. I see it more as an annoyance for the people that it happens to. But I don't think that it's like a game-breaking problem. Like, I'd rather have them fix the stuttering first before they work on that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, see, I'm on the the opposite scale. I think stuttering and all that happens in a lot of games, especially big ones like this. Like, PUBG had it. It occurs even in Warzone and all that other stuff. But I don't think that... I actually think it's game-breaking to not have people start a raid as a PMC at the same time. We've talked a lot about scavs. And the benefit of spawning in at a random location at a random time and how powerful that can be. It's just one of those topics that I actually think it's game breaking. This is it's critical for me. Like, I i don't want to feel bad about killing somebody. Furthermore, I want to know that I created or was more skillful or created more tactical advantages over somebody other than wondering like oh did they spawn in late and they were just confused and disoriented so yeah for for me the chad pvp or whatever you want to call me i actually think that's game breaking and it has happened to me i've spawned in in that glass hallway as someone was running down it multiple times and it's horrible you don't want to wonder like should i bring in my best gear because i may spawn in late like that's just not a good feeling it's absolutely game breaking because I look at it as an immersion thing. If I'm playing Tarkov, I want to be in the game. And when I die, I don't get mad anymore when I die. I say GG. But I want to know that the person outplayed me. And I don't want to be removed from my immersion to be like, dude, the server just screwed me. That's when I get really upset. Like it, Stutter does that a little bit because it takes you out of the game. But you're kind of right back in it. So it's not that bad. But when you spawn in late and die, that's like a pure like nothing I did wrong. Caused me to die here, so I I disagree, man. I think it's totally game breaking.
0: I mean, I appreciate your position, and I'm like seventy five percent in agreement with you. I just don't see it as severe of a problem as you do, and I understand that that opinion is going to be very unpopular with the people that it's happened to. But I also you have to understand, from my perspective, I have spawned in late. I've spawned and disoriented, and Chads have totally milled me down. So I have zero sympathy. If you die because the game spawns you in five seconds late and you're in the wrong position, that's just part of playing the game at this point. If they change it, they change it. If they don't, then don't play. And I know that that's one of those things where I may not have the most popular opinion, but I had to come to grips with the fact that there's a lot of things about FPS games that aren't fair. And this is just one of those things, right? This just happens to be a game situation that is unfortunate in the way that it's implemented. But there are plenty of things about FPS games that aren't fair. I mean, if you're going to say that this isn't fair, then the person who's playing on a 60 frame per second versus 144 frame per second monitor is at a disadvantage, right? Because you're going to see them a second probably a full second before they see you. So is that fair? You know what I mean? There's all kinds of things like this that are in these kinds of games. And so I don't see it as a game breaker. I see it as a very large frustration point. I just don't have the opinion that it's, I guess, I mean, I'm like 75% in agreement with you. I just don't get that extra 25% of emotion to get to 11 about it is the best way to say.
1: Oh, no, I and I get it. Like it's purely for me as someone who plays factory a lot, And wanted to get good at it. I just don't think it's fair. And what I'm all about is fair PvP. It just seems like an easy fix for me. And again, I know it's probably not. Because in my mind, it's like, it's an easy fix. Can't they just update it so that the raid doesn't count down until everyone's loaded in on the map? Like, obviously, that would put an extra burden on there. Like, I get it. I'm just saying like it, it is it's just a really bad immersion thing because, yeah, you're right. You know, I, it's not fun to think about like, oh, that guy just has a better FPS than I do. Right. But again, if in the game, if the game is doing it right, I don't think that's going to remove yourself from immersion. Unless you're getting massive desync kills all the time. So yeah, you're right. There's other things that are unfair that aren't controlled in the game. That's a very fair point to it. This is just one that I think is brutal. And you're right. People that it's happened to, they're going to absolutely feel it more. And I'm guessing anybody that spawned into the smaller maps like Factory, if you've done it more than 20 times, you've probably had this happen. So
0: yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And if you play the larger maps, it's obviously not that big of a deal. Unless you're hatchet running and you spawn in a minute late, that's a huge problem. Right. Again, I'll just say that I 75% agree. So for all the people right now who are <laughs> yelling at their headphones and all the shade that's going to get thrown my direction saying I don't understand or whatever, um, I do understand. I just don't think it's as big of a deal as chat would think it is. Is that fair enough?
1: Yeah, that's fair. And and again, if I step back and look at it and say, I've done this to somebody, maybe one out of 200 factory runs, and I've had it done to me, maybe two out of 200 factory runs. I agree. In terms of priority, not that big. Because on the other maps that are bigger, it's not as big of a deal because there's more space between you and the other spawns. It's just exaggerated on factory. so. I appreciate that you don't see it the same way I do. And it's also fresh for me. Two weeks
0: from now, I'm probably not going to be that worried about it. (laughs) Well, one of the interesting things about learning spawns on maps that I wanted to touch on while we're talking about this is if you take a big map like customs, for example, because I kind of want to stay on this because I want to build on my previous kind of comment on it. And you split it up like I learned the spawn points like on customs by taking the map and splitting it into generally speaking three sections. The entire section of the map that's on the entire left side where you have railroad to port, crossroads, trailer park and ditch where you can spawn basically in one of four points kind of surrounding the train yard and the storage lot, right? this is my area. I'm going to have to deal with this first, right? You can spawn in the back of the container buildings, the repair shop, the storage buildings. You can spawn in that area, right? And you know that I have to kind of clear that out and deal with that first. Or you can spawn around dorms or in the woods kind of around dorms. And you know that you have to spawn and clear that out. And I kind of talked about going to shack and doing that. And I think the important part about clearing spawns on a bigger map, not on a smaller map like Factory, but on a larger map. The important part about clearing spawns is understanding where to look. And you understand where to look after you can spawn to the map and within like two or three seconds, know where you are. Because if you have to wait a minute of trying to figure out where you are, they're already gone, right? And so the value of stacking knowledge of maps on top of spawn knowledge and then on top of clearing spawns it's kind of like this progression that has to happen and it just happens with reps on the maps right it's just it's all about reps on the maps completing tasks really really takes your map knowledge to an entirely new level i would say once you get to the point where i'm at where you've done a bunch of tasks on these maps then you come back to this part where you're like okay I'm used to all these spawn points now. So now I can start clearing out spawn points because it's also important too to know if I'm looking in this direction, am I seeing a scav or a PMC? And that is largely determinable based upon the amount of minutes that you are into a raid. And that's a super important thing to have a grasp on because scavs obviously are going to interact with you in a completely different way. There's also places on the maps that scavs will never be. So
1: there's times where you'll see a player in a spot and you'll know it's either a player scav or a PMC because it's just not somewhere where scavs go. That's a great point because as you start learning this stuff, you're going to be like, wait a minute, they'll never up there. You know, there's spots in the rafters on factory that you will never see a scav. And so if you see something up there, it's a player, whether they're scaving in or a PMC. And the same goes for all the maps. There's areas where where scavs do not go.
0: Yeah, that's a great point because it's important to understand the distinction because you just have an idea of what you're fighting against, right? And so I think in general, once you kind of get map knowledge down, the spawn point clearing is like the next natural progression of what happens. So sticking with customs, I don't want to muddy kind of the explanation too much. I kind of want to build on this customs explanation. Once you get that point done, then it playing the map becomes kind of like this automatic progression of sequence after you spawn in. Right. I spawn in within two or three seconds. I know exactly where I am. I know where the other spawn points are. I look in that direction. Bam, I kill a PMC. And that happens within 10 seconds. And if you can do that reliably, your chances of surviving go up exponentially because it's really about awareness of your surroundings anywhere in the map where the scavs are, and where the PMCs start. Obviously, a minute, a minute and a half in, the game is already well in, and the PMCs are scattered, and so then it's just game on. Then it's normal Tarkov stuff. But in that initial 10 to 15 seconds, that's why we're talking about this. Learn the spawn points, build on your map knowledge, and you take your game to a whole new level. Totally agree. It's a great point.
1: To be clear, I don't have anything to add to that. (laughs) (laughs) It was just good. I think that one of the things we haven't touched on in a while because we sort of did our scav final, right? We kind of did our last big scav overview a couple episodes ago. And I think now that I'm looking back at that and some of the challenges of moving out of scaving into doing raids as a PMC, this is one of those, right? Learning the spawns, learning where people go, and then scavving is actually... Hurting you as far as this goes. You learn a ton from scavs. I'm not saying don't do it, but what I'm saying is you're not learning where other players spawn, you're not learning where they rotate to, you're not learning what you need to clear, etc., etc., etc. So scaving actually hurts this point of progression because you don't know where spawns are happening for PMCs early in the game. So if you're struggling with this, the point that Ronald made that I think is critical is reps, reps, reps. If you need to, go in with budget builds, go in with a pistol, be prepared to die. But getting that map knowledge is critical. And scaving isn't really going to help you with the beginning of the game, specifically related to spawn locations.
0: Think of scaving more of like learning the environment. I scav to learn the environment and I PMC to learn the real spawn points that I'm going to have to deal with in this particular context, right? Scaving is going to teach you where that thing is that you have to go do for that task. Scaving is going to show you where the other scavs are on the map, right? Because they won't attack you. So you can run around and learn that aspect of the map. Scaving is going to show you the best ways to get across the map. Every map has its own unique challenges of getting across the map, right? Navigating the terrain, the environment. And that's really, I think, where scaving has a huge benefit. Scaving's great for learning the buildings because most of the time by the time you scav in, a lot of the major fighting is done. And so yeah, you I mean you could get killed in a building, right? As a scav, of course, but you at least can get up there with, you know, 30% or less of the time left for the raid, and you can get inside one of these buildings that you maybe can't survive long enough to get into as a PMC. So scavving as a tool has a great place in the game, but PMCing with the context of spawn points really is where you have to get good at that two second knowing where I am when I spawn in the game. And you can only obviously do that as a PMC.
1: Absolutely. So I think we kind of hit everything on spawns, right? Anything else you have to add to the spawn conversation?
0: I would just add that if you are kind of struggling with this, if you're trying to figure out like how the best way is, you know, on your particular map, hit up one of the Sherpas in the Xfield Discord. They have lots of experience with teaching people how to do this and they'll definitely help you. They'll stream with you. You can play, throw up your stream and they'll help give you tips. You can also uh, send Trigger and I a message. You know, we'd be happy to share what we know, but we have the Sherpas in our community specifically for these kinds of things and feel free to use them for this
1: Absolutely. Let's move into our strategy topic. And like we said at the top of the show, we wanted to focus on healing and debuffs. And the reason this is coming up right now is it's sort of a stream topic that comes up pretty often for me but it's also one that is subjective. There are some people that are going to tell you to fix certain things before others. So we sort of intentionally didn't talk about our strategies ahead of time because we may have the same strategies, we may not. And so we're going to talk through just an overview of the healing and debuff systems in the game. We're going to talk about during and post-combat debuffs, and then we're going to talk about everything that can happen to you as a PMC. So before I kick this off. I want to ask you a question. I'll ask you, Eric, and I want to ask you guys that are listening. So let's go back to that interchange scenario and I'm going to paint it a little bit fuller, the one that I was talking about at the beginning of the show. So I ended up underneath the escalator outside of Ollie. But when I originally got shot, I was in front of Ollie and I got Notified of their presence when I saw the red dots on me, and I managed to survive, get under the escalator. I traded back and forth with the first PMC that came stomping down the escalator, and I heard all kinds of footsteps up there, so I knew there was more than one. But after the first fight with the first PMC, I had three blacked out limbs, I had a blacked out arm, I had a blacked out stomach. And I had a blacked out and fractured leg and I was massively damaged. I think I was down to like 193 health. Because at that point when I realized there's more PMCs looking down trying to find me. And so at this point, if you're familiar with Interchange, you've downed a PMC. You know there are more. You're underneath the escalator right there. Three blacked out limbs, a blood loss and a fracture. I'm asking everyone that's listening, what do you do in that scenario? And then I'm putting Eric on the spot. What do you do? What debuffs do you handle first? Where do you go? What's running through your mind right now, putting yourself into that situation?
0: Uh, I guess the first thing that's running through my mind is, I wonder if I can run over here in this corner and get rid of all my gear before I die. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But no, seriously, so we're going to try to live, right? That's the whole point of this exercise. So yes, if, you're it listen- is. <laughs> if you're listening to this and you're like, whoa, dude, that doesn't sound good. You're right. It's not good. And we're probably going to die, but we're going to try to live boys. Here we go. So I would say one of the things that I have done on interchange that has worked well for me is I always have a propotol hotkeyed ready to go. Because if you hit your propotol in most situations, you can at least run away a little bit. Because if you get a blacked out or a very injured leg, then you cut your walking speed in half until you have some kind of pain relief, right? And the propotol will also start to heal you a little bit, right? It's like a 10 heal over time. So, it'll start to heal you. Now, if you're bleeding, you're in tough shape. So, I think I would personally deal with the blood loss first. You got to do something to deal with the blood loss. If your limbs are already blacked out, they're already screwed. So, you don't need to worry about that first. But if your thorax or if your head is bleeding, you need to deal with that right away. And that's where the IFAC comes in, right? You got to get your IFAC on there. You just got to deal with the blood loss because the blood loss is quick and the blood loss is what really is going to completely kill you in that scenario. So between the propofol and dealing with that, you can have your limbs all blacked out, but because of the pain relief, you can still fight. If you're going to have a chance in this scenario... You have to deal with the pain and the blood loss, I think, and then be ready to fight as they come down around the escalator. That's where I would start.
1: Nice. (laughs) Well, let me uh, paint the rest of it out, and I'll tell you how it actually played out. So in my mind, I just killed a pretty thick PMC. I know there's two people above. It's highly unlikely because I killed that one PMC that they're going to come storming down. So in my mind, one of two things is going to happen. They're either going to try to flank me, or they're going to wait until I go try to loot the body. So what I did is I did exactly what you said. I did have a propitol, So I backed up into that clothing store. And there's a two bench area. I basically wanted to make sure I was mostly in cover. So I backed up into that area, proned out. I had hit my propital to get back over there. And I sprinted because the vertical audio isn't very good when you're on a different floor of the mall. So I sprinted away, popped the propital before I did that. And then immediately upon proning, I started using my survival kit. And I fixed my fractures, or not my fractures, but my destroyed limbs. Because I had three of them to fix and I would have got the audio cue of them coming down the escalator if they were going to come after me fast, which they didn't do. So, I was able to fully heal all of my destroyed limbs, my blacked out limbs, and the Propatol kind of healed over time as I was doing this, and I did get rid of the blood loss while I was walking, actually. So, I hit a Propatol, hit an IFAC, and then ran to cover to get rid of the blood loss. Fortunately, I had a survival kit so it fixed the fracture at the same time that it fixed the blacked out limb and then I healed up. So at that point I had a decision to make and I already told you at the top of the show that I decided to sneak back into Tekko and I threw a grenade up and I got my notification of a task being complete. Now normally you're not going to get lucky and get a task completion message like I did so that was very lucky because at that point I thought it was maybe only two guys. And so I'm like, okay, maybe I just cleared this out. But maybe there was a third one because I remembered seeing two different colored dots. So after that happened and I confirmed it, it was the grenade kill on that headshot under the tremor effect because my propitol had ran out, I decided that my best strategy was probably to go back to the middle of the mall and come back up and around to see if there was another guy there. And the reason I did this was because I knew I got a kill with a grenade. If there was a third guy, he's probably going to try to take some of his buddy's loot out of there. So after that happened, I walked my way back to the middle of the mall, came up the escalator, came back down the log hallway towards Techlight, and I just ran, and then I stopped in between those benches. The guy threw four grenades at me once I had stopped, and then I didn't make any noise for about 30 seconds. I held the left angle because it was the angle away from me. I didn't think he was going to come into me from the right. And then sure enough, he was creeping around to the left. I dropped him and I got to loot all three of those guys and then exfil out of the Emmercom exit. So your, um, perception of which ailments to cure first was actually the same exact way that I did it. I don't th- usually throw my gear in corners. <laughs> you know, I'll usually go down fighting no matter what, but I can appreciate that thought process because if you had a really expensive gun or something, it may be worth going and chucking that in a corner if you really think you're going to die or they start stomping down the stairs, you may <laughs> try to run off and throw it. It's not a bad thought. But in this case, The point was to survive, and I actually went through the same process that that you mentioned.
0: Yeah, I think that in any situation like that where you're under duress, you know that there's still more PvP that's going to happen, you're in close quarters, the best option you have is you have to give yourself a fighting chance. Now, you got lucky that they didn't storm down the stairs, otherwise you'd have been dead.
1: Maybe, maybe. I. The benefit that I had under the escalator is that if they storm down the escalator, they only have two options to go left or right. And in that situation, I had an AS Val and they know that I pretty much dominated their guy who ended up having a full airframe with a face shield. He had a slick armor, right? So they were geared out, all three of them were. And in that scenario, I think that, yeah, if they both came down and went down either side of it, They probably could have killed me if they both pushed at the same time. I just find it uncommon for people to push down those escalators because they make so much noise. Yep. In a dorms or a resort or another place where it's stair steps or even factory, I probably get fully pushed, right? It was just that situational awareness in that spot that I lived. Absolutely.
0: Yep. And now there's two other like nuanced things about this. If we break this down even further... Let's talk about fixing a limb with a CMS versus a survival kit. You gained quite a bit more hit points back because you used a survival kit, and you didn't have to use a splint to take care of a fracture all at the same Correct. time. Yep. The survival kits cost more, and they take a little bit longer to use, but they cut out that step of need- needing to deal with the fracture. And you can still fix your limb and heal it, but the fracture is going to cause pain, which you have to deal with for the rest of the raid. And if you don't, you're going to end up in this scenario where you're going to have pain that causes the the vision to dark and, you know, and all that stuff that's going to end up happening. And so because you had a survival kit, you didn't have to deal with that. Now, I also think it's important to like in any PvP situation where you have to heal, you just you got to deal with your bleeds. And that's why I think we both hit on that. That's just if you play long enough, you realize that, okay, I have to have something that deals with a bleed. And that's like where you have to start. The propotol thing is an interesting kind of strategy that I've started to use because I noticed that having that extra plus ten health tick as you're in combat sometimes is even even helpful. Cause let's say you get shot, right, and you just go around the corner, it gets you down to like five hit points, but then you start to regenerate. You know, while you're waiting, you never get to the point where you have the bleed, you just have damage. And so I think that the propol thing is really super important. And I was told to use a propotol when I was like level two, and I had no <laughs> idea why. I was like, oh, this this yellow stick that I can't afford. I'll just forget about that, deal with it later. And now I totally understand why. And it you know, it sounds like you and I are on the same page and we didn't talk about this beforehand. So we're on kind of the same page on how we do this. And the other thing about this situation that's super interesting too is if they would have pushed you with your blocked out limbs, it wouldn't have taken much to kill you.
1: Correct. No, I would have been forced to hold an angle and been very immobile if they pushed right away. Like I probably would have got the Propotol off and I probably could have moved around. But if I sprint and I hadn't, you know, I didn't have to, I couldn't sprint or I did. I would have taken damage because I had the fracture and the blacked out leg. Again, it's just a situational thing where they had a decision to make. They're freaked out because <laughs> they've got a dead guy down there and they don't want to die now. They don't know if it's just me or if there's more. That was a very interesting thing that I knew I was ready for them to run down the stairs, but they didn't do it.
0: And this is a great example, too, of don't always assume that the other guys have the upper hand. Not knowing where you were exactly and also not knowing if you had a friend or exactly the exact details of your situation where you were healing and where exactly you were is a huge advantage. So, just because you're hurt doesn't mean you have to give up. My joke about throwing your stuff in a dark corner was more so because the situation you described was fairly grim. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Well, it, it was. And I think the reason I wanted to paint this scenario out was it was one that I feel like I played pretty well and it ended up going my favor. There's plenty of times where I haven't come out on the other side of this. But one of the things that this fight in particular does is that and why I asked the question at the top of this section was oftentimes in those moments of having just fought somebody and you're in severe critical condition on your character, but you know there's more people there because you heard them or saw them, sometimes it can be really hard to do things in the right order. And we didn't really touch on why that was so important. You know, and one of the things that can happen is if you don't handle a blood loss, and let's say you start fixing a blacked out limb, well, blood loss causes you to lose hit points over time. So, if you lose blood or if you are losing blood and you fix a blacked out leg, well, you're taking the chance that the blood loss doesn't hit your leg. There's times where if you don't do the blood loss and you fix a leg, you may get that negative health tick on your leg and it may go back into blacked out and you just wasted that survival kit time. So again, doing these things in the right order can be very beneficial and doing them in the wrong order can really hurt you. One other thing I wanted to point out was that if you saw this on stream or you went back and watched the VOD There was a point when I was going back to the middle of the mall and coming back up to the top where I said to myself three or four times, there's always another person. There's always another person because I didn't know if it was two or three and my gut instinct after getting that nade task complete was to go start looting, run up those stairs and go. And I had to talk myself through knowing there's probably another person, there's probably another person, and it's better to clear out that whole area before even thinking about looting than dropping down and picking up that loot. So I wanted to make that point as well, is that always treat it like there's another person, unless you are 100% sure that you saw everybody enter that area and you killed everybody that entered that area. Because in this case, if I would have gone and tried to loot in either of the scenarios when I dropped the first two guys, I'm dead,
0: easily killed. Absolutely. It's okay to take your time. You know, I mean, take your time, make sure that you put yourself in the best situation to get out alive. I would say, because you're a very good FPS player, I would say eight out of 10 people don't make it out of that situation. And I would also say that you have a lot of map knowledge of interchange, and that is a critical point in surviving situations like this. And Once that map knowledge that we just talked about in our spawn discussion, it's another thing that you stack that map knowledge on top of, right? So once you know that, okay, I can go around and these guys are not sure what's going on, but I know how to get at them from the backside, that map knowledge stacks into this topic, I think, quite well. Yeah, I think there's a
1: few different spots that the map knowledge really came into play there. One was that I could mostly get up close to the escalator and throw a grenade up there without being spotted after I cleared the left glass overlook. So I was looking up, there's an overlook from the opposite side that looks through two planes of glass. One of them is the escalator itself, and then one is the barrier. And so I was looking up through that to make sure they weren't looking there, and that allowed me to get really close to the escalator and then throw that grenade up there. So that was one piece, but also knowing that I could back up into that dark corner and prone out, and knowing that there was a little information desk there that I could be basically 100% hidden while I fixed everything. That was a huge piece that helped me. But also knowing how to get to the middle of the mall and back up from the right angle was critical in that section. So I agree. Interchange is probably the map that I know the most like routes to get around on. So it it did really help me there.
0: There's also another option, which I'd like to talk about too with that situation where it's, okay, I need to run away. You can also use Vaseline. Vaseline will remove the pain effect, in which case will allow you to run away and hide, but will not give you the healing effect. But it's cheaper than buying propitols. So it's a 10 use, you know, versus the one-off for the propitols. So if you're struggling with money, you can keep a Vaseline in your gamma and you can still use that in this situation.
1: Yeah, and I think that point brings up something that I wanted to go through and then talk about some of the various ways you can handle this stuff is that I want to rattle off the full list of debuffs that you can have in this game. And part of this is because it sort of shocks me to know how many there are, but also as a new player just how hard it can be to figure out what's what, what do I need to worry about? Because in other games, right? If you're coming from PUBG or Rainbow Six or it really doesn't matter, There's usually a couple healing items or at max like two different ones, you know, like you'll have some things that just flat heal you and then you'll have some things that heal you over time, but it's usually just one health bar. In Tarkov, you have seven health bars and then you have a full list of debuffs that can happen to you. Some of them are on a per limb basis. Some of them are just to your PMC overall. So check this out. There's blood loss. There's fresh wound, fracture, pain, contusion, tremor. Tunnel vision, dehydration, hard dehydration, fatigue, hard fatigue, overweight, critical overweight, stun, disorientation, flash, and stim debuff. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> there's so many things to think about. And knowing what all of these do to your character, to Eric's point, there's a number of ways to handle them. There's a number of ways to handle them at different price points. So, pain can be removed via painkillers. And oftentimes people would say, hey, did you bring painkillers in? Well, there's actually an item called painkillers. There is ibuprofen and Vaseline, which are basically just more duration on the painkilling effect. Then you have things like the morphine shot, which will kill pain and you have things like the propital shot or stim that will also kill pain and then they have other side effects, both good and bad. So, there's all of these things that you have to be worrying about or understand what the icons are and then you have to know how to treat them as well. You know, so one of the things that happened to me in this scenario was I was looking into Ollie shooting at scabs when I got shot from the back, okay? So normally I would say, well, if you're getting into a combat scenario or approaching a combat area, take your painkillers, whether it's painkiller, ibuprofen, Vaseline, propitol, morphine shot, whatever it is to get your on painkillers effect ahead of time so that if you get a blacked out limb or if you get a fracture, it's not going to affect you during the PVP itself. I didn't have that ability in this scenario. So again, what you're talking about with the Vaseline is a perfect example of this is There's other ways to handle pain or the fractures or the blacked out limbs. Vaseline is one of them. But there's actually a bunch of ways to handle that particular thing. And you're right, at various price points. You know, if you have a Vaseline or an Ibuprofen or even a Golden Star, I forgot Golden Star, that's the other one. There's even another one. All of those things are kind of expensive as a per slot item. So oftentimes you can keep those in your gamma. Whereas if you maybe you just have the two by two secured container. Sometimes it's more beneficial from a price standpoint to just keep painkillers in your pocket because they are a couple thousand to replenish all the time versus taking in a Vaseline, which can be 30 to 40k for a brand new one.
0: Yep. And there's even the adrenaline ejector too, which will take care of pain and also give you a buff on different things. So there are a lot of different ways for different price points, like you're saying, to deal with these different debuffs. Pain is probably going to be the most common thing you're going to have to manage. So understanding how to manage pain is going to be important. And I think from my perspective, the other thing that you're going to have to understand is really the difference between a CMS and a survival kit. I think that is like a critical, critical thing because in the beginning of the game, you're like, oh, the CMS takes up one less spot, it's cheaper, and I can heal my blacked out limb. But when you start using it, you realize that The problem with that is that it doesn't remove a fracture. So like I said before, you still have to have a splint and still use that. And that starts to become a big deal because if you don't remove the fracture, you gain your hit points back, but then you're still dealing with pain. But if you don't have anything to mitigate the pain, you kind of see how this starts to unravel as you're trying to make it out of the raid alive. So I think understanding that, understand that a survival kit is something that you really should be carrying. You can use a CMS if you need to, But if you're going to get into any kind of long, kind of prolonged raids, you really want to have a survival kit.
1: Yeah, and I think the reason that I prefer survival kit is one, as I have a gamma container. So I can always carry a survival kit in three slots there. If you're on the basic version with a smaller secured container, the survival kit is more of a risk. Now, what Eric's alluding to here, though, is that when you fixed a blacked out limb, it's going to be resurrected, so to speak with less hit points than it had at the start. But a CMS kit only brings back 45 to 60% of the hit points that it originally had versus the survival kit brings back 80 to 90% of the original hit points. So in situations where you may get in multiple fights, it's absolutely critical to have a survival kit if you can find a way to do it. And one of the things I've started doing is I save my survival kits that have one or two uses now and I'll actually put those into my backpack versus having them in my gamma so that I have more room to put stuff in my secured container when I'm not wanting to worry about a one or two use survival kit. So actually to me, a three use survival kit is amazing because if I die with it, I'm really not worried about losing three uses on a survival kit and I can have it in my backpack and it frees up three slots in my gamma container for ammo or magazines or whatever else I want to be carrying. So great point. I mean, just understanding those differences as you unlock the ability to get survival kits or you just have the economy and the rubles or the extra money to buy those. Uh, it's a huge step up being able to carry around a survival kit.
0: Yep, and if you don't have the economy that allows you to buy the 15 out of 15 use survival kits, which can get a little expensive, there are plenty of them that are for sale in the 7 to 10 out of 15 use range that are less than half price that you can get into and start using if you're not using them today. One of the interesting things about the effects that there are in the game right now, there's another one which you didn't mention, which is intoxication. (laughs) It, which you don't normally get unless you want to. It is kind of fun to toss down a bottle of vodka when you find one and kind of see how that goes. I've had some fun doing that. But then there's some unimplemented features which may or may not make it in the game, but but listen to this list. Player temperature, biohazard, and there's a special note saying it is unknown how this effect will really affect you. Radiation, high blood pressure or low blood pressure, and craziest one of all, hallucination. <laughs> So, if you weren't convinced that Night Raids on Factory weren't already a horror movie, add hallucination to it. It's going to be really... goodness. It's going to be really interesting to see what they do with that. But there's all kinds of effects. There's all kinds of debuffs. If you're coming from the MMO world, we'd refer to this as kind of a debuff. And then we would refer to the various ways to mitigate that debuff as a buff, right? So, there's all yeah. kinds... Of all kinds of effects to do that. There's all kinds of effects that can hurt you, but there's plenty of ways to mitigate those things. And I think one of the things we really wanted to emphasize in this section of the show is that there are a lot of different ways to go about this. And it's super important, I think, as you progress through the game to understand what each one of those different mitigation strategies are and the different items and how they work.
1: Yeah. And I think to wrap up this conversation about this sort of in combat things you need to worry about, we hit pain, all the things that work to resolve pain. And then we talked about the two items that resolve your destroyed or blacked out limbs. And I say limbs there because if you have a blacked out head or thorax, those can't actually be brought back from a blacked out state. But we talked about blood loss as being one of the most important things. That you need to fix. Now, there are some healing items that also bring back hit points that fix blood loss. There are also bandages in the game. So, if you're coming from another game and you think bandages are these wonderful things and they're probably going to heal you, they don't do that in Tarkov. Bandages simply remove blood loss. And there's two bandages there's one that's just a one use, and there's one that has two uses. And they're great because they're quick to use and they remove the bleed effect. Most people opt for the Saliwa or the IFAC. And the Saliwa is a two-slot heal with 400 hit points of healing, and it can also take care of a blood loss. The IFAC is a one-slot healing item with 300 hit points of healing that can also take care of blood loss. And those are the ones that most people opt for, but there are also healing items that do not take care of Blood loss, and that's the AI2 or the cheese or that little yellow square in your inventory that will not cure a blood loss. And then you also have the CAR medical kit, which is a two slot healing item with 220 health points on it that can heal you for that, but it won't take care of a bleed. Now, the one that I didn't mention sort of intentionally is the Grizzly First Aid Kit because this is a two by two item that handles blood loss, fractures, Um, It removes pain, but it doesn't pain kill. And then we're arguing in text right now. (laughs) I didn't think that the car kit fixed blood loss. Does it? I think it does. It does. Maybe the car kit used to fix fractures and it no longer does. That's why I didn't talk about it there. I think you're right. I think the car kit does fix bleeds. I think in the past, the car kit fixed Fractures or the CMS fixed fractures. I can't remember which one. It's one of the two. But you're right. The car kit does fix blood loss. But the um, the grizzly is an eighteen hundred hit point all things healing item that personally I use mostly after the raid to fix all of my ailments. Do do you ever take a grizzly into a raid?
0: You know, I did take one in my secure container. And I did it for a while, but I just found it to be unnecessary. You know, an IFAC is good enough. It's really interesting because the the Grizzlies kind of place in the game, I've found is more healing after raid than it Mm. is kind of healing in raid. But maybe I'm not using them correctly. And that could totally be the case. You know, maybe I'm just not doing it right. I'm not sure. But I I don't often use Grizzlies. Do you? Uh, I honestly, I never take them in a raid.
1: I usually only use them in my inventory to heal myself after raids.
0: Yeah, it's just too many spaces. And it's 1,800, which is great, but it, you don't generally have to heal for that much. So usually I can burn through an IFAC and I'll usually take an IFAC and the Saliwa. Just take that combination. That's 700 heals. That's a lot of heals. You know, I mean, if you burn through that, you know, it could happen, but it's not very common, I don't think, anyways.
1: Yeah, personally,
0: my preferred is
1: having an IFAC in my secured container and then two cheeses in my pockets. That way I can take care of bleeds, 500 total healing. If I take more damage than that, it's probably a bad scenario. <laughs> yeah, bad, bad day, right? So Yeah, and so the final really important one. So to summarize so far, we've hit blood loss, we've hit pain, we've hit destroyed or blacked out limbs. And the last one that's critical for combat is fracture. Now we mentioned that if you're fixing out a blacked out limb that is also fractured and you happen to be fixing that with a survival kit, it will fix the fracture at the same time. Now that sounds really cool except for the survival kit takes 15 or 20 seconds. I think it's a 20 second use time to fix a blacked out limb. So if you just get a fracture like you fell off something or somebody shot you in the leg and you got a fractured leg and you're using the survival kit to fix that, that's a really inefficient way to do it. Now, there's two different types of splints in the game. You just got your regular immobilizing splint and then you've got your mobilizing splint, ALU. And the difference is a regular splint is one use, the ALU splint is five uses. But those take five seconds and three seconds respectively to just take care of a fracture. So a lot of times people start throwing splints away or say, oh, those are useless. They're not super useful. A lot of times I'll take at least one splint in a raid because they are a couple thousand rubles. And honestly, if you just need to fix a quick fracture, you don't want to use a survival kit for that because it takes too long. So that's really the last like combat thing that can happen. And the splints are super useful and they're fast. That's the best part about them, especially those aluminum ones or ALU. I don't know if it's aluminum, but. ALU. I always think about it as an aluminum splint. I don't know if that's what it
0: means. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I usually use the ALU splint as well if I'm going to take a splint. The single-use splints, I don't really use those anymore uh, for anything. I was kind of thinking, you know, as we kind of wrap up our discussion here, wouldn't it be funny if at some point, if you could drink a bottle of vodka and it would take away the pain but give you intoxication? Yeah, because I don't, I, I, I don't think intoxication is in the game. I, I'm not 100% sure. I was mostly joking before about drinking a bottle of vodka. But I th- wouldn't that be interesting if they did something like that? That'd be hilarious. <laughs> I mean, think of the memes, right? You know, use your crowbar to whack your buddy in the leg and then here, hand him a bottle of vodka. I mean, that seems like a very Tarkovian thing to do. Level your strength, remove your sorrows. Perfect. <laughs> I love it.
1: so the final thing and then we're going to wrap it up here at the end of a fight it's always worth looking at the last few debuffs that you can get as a result of a fight the number one that probably everyone's aware of right now is the overweight debuff after you have a fight and you've looted your enemy you're probably going to end up overweight as you leave the raid and that can have a number of different effects on you the more that you carry. So it can go all the way to the point where you can't run anymore, but it's going to reduce the height of your jumping. It's going to reduce the speed at which you recover stamina, et cetera, et cetera. Like overweight happens after a fight and you loot. There's also dehydration and fatigue, especially if you've got a blacked out stomach. That's when you really have to pay attention to dehydration and fatigue, because if your stomach's gone, you lose these at a rapid pace. So you either need to fix it or you need to get out quick or make sure you have something to drink or eat to make sure you don't get dehydrated or fatigued to the point where you start losing hit points. And you get that dreaded cracked and red screen is never fun when you just keel over and die because you're trying to get out of there. So that's what can happen after a fight. But we wanted to go over all of that mostly to walk through a strategic situation on how to think through the healing process. And then maybe just go through a couple of these that maybe you haven't used in a while or you didn't know there was different durations or there was different ways to handle some of these ailments. And yes, some of them are expensive, especially in the early game. So what I would say to someone who's newer or reset their account or whatever, don't feel bad about using splints and bandages and car kits and cheap healing supplies. There's nothing wrong with that. They work just as effectively They're just not doing quite as much for you, but there's no reason to feel bad for that. Don't put yourself into a currency deficit by spending too much money on medical supplies that you're not keeping in your secured container and you may lose later.
0: Yep, I absolutely agree. You don't need to have the most expensive medical mitigation with you at all times. What you have to do is have a strategy around your mitigation. So it's kind of why I switched from using Vaseline to Golden Stars. Because golden stars give you that extra boost of hydration and they take care of contusions as well. So it's another one of those things where you just have this added effect. It's a little bit more expensive, but as you progress, you can afford it and it starts to become more advantageous for you to save the space in whatever you're doing than it does to have multiple ways to add that multiple different buffs that you have to do to get through. So I don't know. Do you have anything more to add to that or are we pretty much there? No, man, that went a lot deeper than I thought, and I didn't think that that first
1: example I gave of my most memorable kill recently was going to lead into such a detailed healing discussion, but I'm glad we did it, because uh, you even said a couple things that I need to consider for myself, like Golden Star. I knew that it had that uh, hydration effect, but that could be a lifesaver, and frankly, right now, I have the economy to do it, so I need to think about those higher-end healing materials a little bit more.
0: Yep, it sounds good. Well, I definitely can see the green bar floating across the screen because we are way, way, way into this episode. (laughs) So if you've made it all the way till now, we certainly do appreciate you sticking with us. And also to everyone who is part of the Xville community, thank you for being part of the Xville community. Thank you to everyone who's listening on the audio side and subscribe to the podcast feed there. Wherever you listen to us, please remember, if you can, leave us a review on whatever the platform supports a like however that works it definitely helps discoverability on the audio side of the show also on the youtube side if you wouldn't mind checking that out if you never have please leave us a like and a subscribe on the youtube side that's youtube.com/xpmedianow it helps the discoverability on youtube which actually is two very different audiences so we like to have both of those audiences kind of co-mingle and talk to each other in the comment section. It's kind of interesting. But that pretty much wraps it up for this week. Remember, you can find both of us on the Twitters. I'm at gaming and Trigger. At MTB Trigger, everywhere. All right. And remember to follow the podcast at XFIL Podcast. So until next week, everybody, have a good week. Remember to scav often and we'll see you later. See you guys. Thank you.